Shall we begin? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come today with grateful hearts for the gifts and the graces you give to us. We thank you for the many ways that you reveal yourself to us, that you reach out to us, that we might be able to not just know that you exist somewhere out there, but that you are intimately close to us, and you long to be so. We thank you for the sacred scriptures, your divine word that gives us your voice when so often we desire to hear you speak to our hearts. We know that in these words that takes place. And so we ask that you would be with us in this time as we come to reflect upon how it is that we can allow the sacred scriptures to to build up our life of prayer, to be that solid foundation to draw us close to your Son, to draw us close to yourself by the gift of the Holy Spirit who remains in our hearts. We ask us all through the intercession of our Blessed Mother, she who bore the word in our very own womb. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It wouldn't be a talk by Father Brent without a stack of books. Uh, So I unstacked them, so it looks less ominous. Uh, But there are a number of resources up here um, that I'll, I'll hopefully be able to get to and kind of highlight as we go along, partly. But also at the end, I'll just kind of throw a bunch of them in there. But the majority of what, um, of what this presentation is pulling from is from two sources. Uh, one is a book from Dr. Stephen C. Smith uh, entitled The Word of the Lord, Seven Essential Principles for Catholic Scripture Study. Uh, so he's got, uh, he's got it all summarized in, in one nice little page front and back. The rest of it gives you all the the extra details, but there's a lot of wonderful information if you want to really kind of start getting deep into the scripture study and and really kind of digging uh, digging up the riches that are contained in sacred scripture. Dr. Smith has this wonderful book here. The second one uh, is kind of looking at the the more practical aspect. This will be our second part. We'll get into the actual life of prayer, of how to actually pray with the scriptures, which is the entire purpose of the talk. So this one is called Wrap Yourself in Scripture. And we'll see uh, WRAP as part of the method um, by, which, uh, by which we're able to do that, to be able to, to pray with the scriptures. And this is from the Institute of Priestly Formation uh, with um, Dr. Karen Dwyer and uh, Dr. Lawrence Dwyer being the authors of this handy little guide. You know, if you compare the sizes, I think the... The rap book is much more manageable, and it's got pictures in it too, believe it or not. So, I mean, it's, it's not even as bad as it looks at the, the handful of pages that it is, but a wonderful, wonderful resource. So this is basically what the, the, the core of this talk is coming from those two texts. So I wanna, before we get into the, the praying with Scripture, I want to kind of just talk about Scripture in general, especially our Catholic approach to it. So these are... The seven principles uh, from Dr. Smith's book, The Seven Essential Principles for Catholic Scripture Study. I'll kind of go through this hopefully pretty quickly because I want to talk about the prayer part more. The the practical application 
is the better. That's the, that's the meat and potatoes that we're looking for. So the first part, the first essential principle is to remember that God's word is coming to us in human language. And so it's divine words, the human authors. It's to recognize that every book in the scriptures is divinely inspired. They all have the same common author, author, namely the Lord, even though they have different human authors stretch over the course of some 1,500 years. Uh, so we recognize that, that it's God who comes to speak, that the scriptures are divinely inspired, that, they, that, they, that, that the life of the Spirit is breathed into them, and yet they also use the words of human authors. And so you can do such things as look and see the... the the uh, writing style of different, you know, different writers at different times, and you can look at their limitations. And, and you know, a, a lot of times people who are critics of the scriptures will say, well, well, this, this passage says such and such, but this one says such and such, and it seems to be contradiction, da 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 da, da. And so often uh, it's a recognition that, well, yeah, that was the, the, the way in which that author wrote. Uh, and so it doesn't mean, you know, sometimes there are legitimate things where we kind of have to wrestle with, how do we reconcile both of these things? Um, but quite often, it's also simply a reality of, of this is a, a, a person trying to cooperate with the Lord in writing this text for the good of the whole religious community, whether Jewish or Christian, um, depending on Old Testament or New Testament. So first, God's word in human language. Secondly, it's God's word revealed in history. So as we go throughout the text, both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, we hear lots of names, places, people, times, historical events. Uh, these are not, this is basically to remind us that this is not one of those once upon a time in a land, fan, a land far, far away, you know, type of things. It's not a fairy tale. That this is something that's historically based. Uh, and as such, there are many, uh, many indicators uh, about historical points that take place. But also it's important to be able to remember the historical context and what the authors are writing. Uh, and so some things that we may see as, as kind of shocking or scandalous to us was kind of just normal, normal parlance. It was, it was normal course for the community 2,000 years ago. Uh, and so it's to recognize that, that it's not, it wasn't written for the 20th or 21st century reader it was written for the people of that day, inspired by God to continue to be used throughout the course of time. And so it does have those restrictions sometimes where we see kind of can make us a little bit uncomfortable. So it is God's word revealed in history. The third piece is that it is sacred scripture and sacred tradition. As Catholics, we are not sola scriptura. We are not scripture alone. Uh, we are not of the stripe where everything a person says about faith, we have to respond, where is that in the Bible? As our, as our Protestant brothers and sisters um, are wont to do. It, I'm sure most of you, if you've had a conversation about anything of the faith uh, with someone who was not Catholic, or if you were not Catholic yourself at a time, you had the question yourself, where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? And so it's this recognition that as Catholics, we integrate and we have both of them together. That sacred scripture and sacred tradition are not contradictory to each other. There's nothing in one that contradicts the other. Uh, there's nothing in tradition that contradicts scripture, nothing in scripture that contradicts tradition. Together we see them as one deposit of faith. 
that's what that's what the church calls it, the deposit of faith. The two of the, the two of them coming together provide for us one single aspect of divine revelation. Some of it in black and white on a page, some of it passed down mouth to mouth, person to person through generations. That's the beauty of our of our apostolic history and the and the, the Jewish family history, uh, you know, for the many centuries before that is you know, we recognize that we're not that, that, that our ancestors come from an oral culture, that it's a, a verbal culture where they sat around and they spoke and they talked and they reflected together in community. It wasn't just that they had to write everything down or it didn't count. Uh, there was very much a, a familial passing things on to the next generation. And so we see that lived out today in, that, in the gift that we have, tradition and scripture. The fourth principle is that the Old Testament and the New Testament are not really to be seen as separate documents. That there is an inherent unity, again, because God is the true author, the ultimate author, the one who inspired both. So, everything matters. It's not as if we can just cast off the Old Testament and be like, well, that was before Jesus came. You know, (laughs) that's not an option for us. Uh, St. Augustine, a great doctor of the church, beautifully said that the New Testament lies hidden within the Old, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New. And so it's this, this reality that, that oftentimes in, in the church, during the Sunday reading cycle and the weekly reading cycle, we, we hear a lot of times where the first reading will be from the Old Testament and the second reading will be from the New Testament. They're like, they kind of sound alike. That's interesting. And it's for a purpose. <laughs> you know, as the church recognizes the Old Testament, you know, reading in this passage, it helps us to make sense and give us a little bit, th- I guess, more uh, complex and, and, and historical background of what Jesus was talking about. So it helps to kind of add flesh, you know, to what Jesus is talking about in the New Testament so we can understand even more by looking at the Old Testament. But also, whenever we look at the Old Testament, it's pointing forward towards all kinds of things. That Jesus will fulfill in the new, right? All the prophecies. You know, that a virgin would conceive a bear his son. That, that there would be one whose name was Yeshua, who would lead the people to the promised land. Jesus leading us to the promised land, right? So there's all of these things that happen in the Old Testament that, you know, are unveiled and brought to a new level, a new understanding in the New Testament. So it's important for us to be able to recognize both. Uh, that there is an inherent unity between the two. And it's good for us to, um, to reflect upon that, you know, to kind of pause and go, you know, when, when did, you know, I love the, um, the ritual for baptism. Um, and the new rite, it, it goes through and it explains baptism. But it says, talking about the ways in which God used water. <laughs> it says, you know, in Genesis, the spirit breathed on the waters, you know, and then, and then uh, in the, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, the passing through the waters of the Jordan, uh, John baptizing in the waters, the waters of Noah and the ark. And so it pulls up all of these images of water in the Old Testament as a way of saying, hey, <laughs> all of that was pointing to what we're celebrating here and now. You know, Noah and the ark, that's important for us today. You know, going through the Red Sea, that has implications for us now. And so it's a a beautiful way of being able to bring those two together uh, and to be able to think about, as we read the scriptures, 
to think, you know, oftentimes it's what, if we're reading a New Testament passage or an Old Testament passage, kind of think, where else am I hearing some of these details? You know, where else do I hear about water? Where else do I hear about a tree of life? Where else do I hear about, you know, this, that, or the other thing? And so that helps to kind of connect all the dots. The fifth principle is that God's word has meaning. It has meaning. That within the sacred scriptures, there are great riches. There is much to be found there. Whether it's in the Old Testament wisdom, whether it's in the New Testament, uh, the teaching of morality, the revelation of God himself, whether it's the life of prayer composed throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, both, all of these things have implications for us. They have a meaning for us today. So it's important to remember this as well whenever we enter the, into relationship and dialogue with the scriptures. The sixth principle is that God's word requires sound, balanced, methodical analysis. Isn't that a fun one? All the rest of them seem pretty easy, pretty straightforward, but then it's like sound, balanced, methodical analysis. You're like, all right, well, you just got intro to, to scripture class. Welcome to scripture 101, right? You know, now we're going to start studying methodically the scriptures, right? Um, but what this is essentially kind of reminding us with this sound, balanced, methodical analysis of scripture is a reminder of what has already kind of gone before with regards to those other principles, that the scriptures are the fruit of the church. They're the fruit of the living out of the apostles in the first days after Christ, that they are a manifestation of the revelation of God, that God is revealing himself. He reveals himself in the person of Jesus. He reveals himself in the sacred scriptures. He reveals himself in the sacraments. He reveals himself in nature. He reveals himself in the people around us. So all of these ways, you know, the, the revelation of God is to remember kind of all of these things are taking place. But especially just to remember that the scripture is not something that is separate from our everyday practice of the faith. And that's what it kind of really gets down to. That it's not as if, well, you've got the Bible and then you've got Catholicism. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a, uh, you know, a separation or a distinction between the two. It's the Bible is part of who we are as Catholics. That's kind of what I was mentioning yesterday in the homily by pointing out, you know, the, the things that were happening in the scriptures, you know, of, of the woman touching the cloak. Well, you know, that's what we experience in the sacraments that Christ comes to touch us. It's what we experience in the sacramentals that God still emits power from himself through physical things in this world. Um, and so our, our, our understanding and approach with the scriptures is not opposed to our experience of Catholicism, though some might like to put it that way. In fact, they are quite integrated, <laughs> beautifully integrated. And the last one, principle seven, is that God's word is life-giving and it is active. The word of God is not something that's dead and cold, something to be studied uh, just as if it was, you know, just uh, kind of a, any normal text as you know, with a, a human eye and a human concern. Whenever we come to engage in the sacred scriptures, whenever we enter in, we really enter into a relationship. Because when we, when we come to encounter the sacred scripture, we recognize that it's God who still speaks. And he still speaks those words to us. They may have been written 2,000, 3,500 years ago. But God, who still speaks, 
is speaking that word to us right now. And that's why the sacred scriptures have such incredible, incredible power to touch hearts all throughout history. Countless saints have experienced radical conversion simply by hearing the word of God and recognizing that that was for me. <laughs> you know, uh, I forget which saint it was, but he was, he was kind of wrestling with, with, with following the Lord. He wanted to follow the Lord, but he wasn't sure if he should give up everything and, and really follow the Lord. He wanted to, but he, was, he, he kind of felt like he shouldn't, you know, you know maybe, I'm, maybe I'm presuming too much. Maybe, you know, who am I to say that I can follow Jesus Christ that intensely? And so he went to church, and he was praying with all of this in his heart, and he went to the church, and the gospel was, sell everything, give it to the poor, and follow me. And he was like, all right, that was me. That was for me. That, that right there, that was for me. And he went, did exactly as the scripture said, and he became a saint, canonized saint of the church, because he heard the word of God and knew that this isn't something outside of me. <coughs> And my hope is that every one of us have had that experience at some point. But when we hear, you know, whether it's in, whether it's in the Old Testament, whether it's the Psalm, whether it's the New Testament Gospel, whether it's a, a word in the homily, any of these things that come forth, where we have that experience of, he's talking to me. <laughs> you know, like that word, God knew I needed to hear that today. And there it is. And that's what the Lord gives to us. That indeed the scriptures are life-giving and they are very, very active. So those are the seven principles of praying with the scriptures, of, of approaching a, a, a kind of starting point. And so I figured those were helpful for us just to remember kind of the background rules in a sense of how to engage in the scriptures, what to be thinking about, what to have in our mind. Uh, all of this stuff that's kind of the, the background, the, the foundation of the prayer with the scriptures. So, getting into the practical aspect of things, um, I'm going to go through basically four questions. What, when, where, and how? And then I'll dive into the sheet that that y'all have received. And kind of go through that a little bit. Um, and I think at the end I'll probably kind of give a, a real life example of what that kind of looks like for myself personally. Um, just to be able to, to put some flesh on the bones, uh, if you will. So, practical aspects of praying with scripture. What? What are we praying with? Scripture. Period. And I realized when I walked in here, of all the books that I brought, my Bible is at the rectory. So, <laughs> but I've got it on my phone, so technically it's always with me. Um, you know, but it's, it's to recognize that what we pray with is the Bible, and I would, I would emphasize explicitly, you know, more clearly, Catholic Bible. The Catholic Bible. Um, I know I've got a whole variety of, of, of different editions different versions or translations of the sacred scriptures, everything from children's Bibles to picture Bibles uh, to when I, was, um, when I was Methodist and was confirmed as a Methodist as, as a young child. Uh, I received my NIV, the New International Version. Uh, whenever my grandfather passed, passed down to me was his K 
KJV, the King James Version, often used in, in, uh, in the Baptist church, uh, complete with $1 bills as his bookmarkers. Uh, I don't know if it was just, if he just had a little, if he just had $1 bills in there in case they passed an extra basket, he always had a little something to put in. I don't know, but uh, I kept them in there, which is, is just kind of a, uh, it's a funny kind of thing. I was like, why, why did he have money just stashed through here randomly? Uh, maybe it was investment investment policy or something, but um, you know. So that there, you know, have I have these various other editions, but also as Catholics, we recognize that our Catholic Bible is different than a Protestant Bible. Uh, it differs by um, by the seven the seven books uh, that were that were not in that are not in the Protestant Bibles, and why they're different is a different discussion. Uh, we're not going to talk about that, but let's just. Suffice it to say, um, history gets kind of fun and exciting sometimes. And uh, whenever you don't have the full story, you only get part of the story, and then you end up seven books short. So basically, to encourage you to make sure that you have a good Catholic Bible. One, so that you make sure we've got all the books. But then two, because a Catholic Bible is necessarily going to highlight or emphasize things that a a Protestant text may not, that they may not want to talk about. You know, you look at the passage where Jesus is talking in John 6 about the Eucharist. They're going to have a little less to say about that than we are as Catholics. Or you look at the passages where Jesus is talking, uh, you know, about the forgiveness of sins and how forgiveness of sins, the authority to forgive sins was given to the church, to the priests, to the bishops. Well, necessarily Catholics are going to be a little more intent on talking about that, about highlighting these things. Uh, And so it's good for us to have a good Catholic text, a good study text, um, just to be able to help help us make some of those connections. On that point, one that I would, that I would highly suggest um, is the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible. This is just the New Testament. This isn't even the full thing. Um, so it began, I don't know, probably, probably 15 years or so ago. They started taking the individual books of the Bible and taking the text from the RSV, the Revised Standard Version, one of the Catholic versions of the Scriptures, taking that text and then going through it and giving basically lots more details in the footnote section. So they did that book by book by book. Whenever they finished the whole New Testament, they published it in a single volume. And now they're going back and they're starting over in the Old Testament and working their way through. And eventually, presumably, they'll have a few volumes like this for the Old Testament as well. I say this is a beautiful text and one that I would certainly encourage specifically for New Testament time, you know, New Testament um, you know, readings and reflections used of the sacred scriptures to study is because if you look at the page, this much of the page is scripture. All the rest is footnotes that explain it. Uh, so down at the bottom, they've got all kinds of different keys, different signs mean different things. Uh, so there are some that, to, you know, that, that look about, um, look at more of the, the different books of the Bible, how it connects to other Catholic things in the scriptures. Uh, it points out how uh, there are certain things. Well, this relates to the sacraments. This relates to Catholic moral teaching. This relates to the papacy. This relates to Marian devotion. And so it highlights those things in a lot greater detail uh, and has some neat little maps and all kinds of things uh, as you go through. But also, in addition, what I like about this is at the beginning of each section, it also gives you a good, uh, a good solid introduction to the book itself. So for whenever you look at... The letter of St. Paul to the Romans, it gives you the author and the date, so you can know approximately when it was written. 
You can, you can look at the destination of exactly what was all the, the pieces and parts going in there. What was the purpose of Paul in writing the letter? Themes in the letter, characteristics that may be there, important things that may stick out or differ from other, other letters. And then it gives you a nice, little, uh, a nice little outline of here's the general layout of the book. So you can kind of see how, because oftentimes um, we, don't, we don't get it uh, in the short clips at Sunday Mass or weekday Mass. But the letters generally have uh, a certain theme or a certain structure that goes throughout. And so it's neat to be able to see that because, you know, if we understand the larger structure, when we look at a smaller passage, you go, oh, well, that makes more sense that he's talking about that there. Because before he was saying such and such, da 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 da, you know. Um, and so basically, um, all of that is to say, this is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful resource to have um, to be able to pray with. Um, to help understand what does this verse mean, you know. Uh, and so it's a good, a good Catholic text. And again, they've got the, the Old Testament books coming out individually, uh, one by one, for this as well. So, get yourself a good Catholic Bible. Uh, okay, I, I guess I'll, I'll name some of the other translations. So the, the Catholic, Catholic Bibles, um, the RSVCE, uh, so the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition um, has the full, the full text. The RSV is, um, is the one used in the Catechism, uh, used to, for all the Catechism quotes of Sacred Scripture. It's becoming more and more, more, and more common um, because it was, it was kind of a, a team that put it together so it's kind of more ecumenical. So it's not just Catholics that use it. Uh, it's Catholics and Protestants both that came together to help kind of work it all out. And the Catholics, of course, on the Catholic end of things, sewed up the last few pieces, you know, and the, the remaining books and such. Um, but it is a, a good text to be able to use. It's, it's clear, understandable, straightforward. Uh, the one that we use for the liturgy is the NAB, the New American Bible. Uh, they have a, a new edition, the NABRE, uh, New American Bible Revised Edition, um, so that one's out available now as well. If you want to go kick it old school, you can go with your Dewey Reams versions uh, or your Knox, uh, Knox versions. Uh, and they have a few different other ones. Uh, and those, those two are, are, are beautiful and insightful, some of them more, more poetic. Um, I know the Knox version was the one that Archbishop Sheen uh, preferred from all the, all the text available of the day. Uh, so he preferred the Knox version because he, he said it, it, it captured what the scriptures really said, but in a way that was still beautiful and poetic. Uh, and so really the important thing is just to get a, to get a Bible that you can read. Because if you get one that sounds really, really beautiful, but you don't know what it means, it doesn't do you any good. <laughs> you know. Uh, so if you, if you want the poetic where you have to sit there and kind of let it roll around in your head before all the pieces start connecting the dots... Fine and good. Um, you know, again, sometimes it, it, that, that opens up extra things for us in our reflections and meditations. Uh, but again, the most common are, are the, the NAB, NABRE, and the RSVCE, Catholic Edition. So when, when to pray the sacred scriptures? Anytime's a good time, really, when it comes down to it. Um, the, the traditional wisdom of the church uh, encourages us to pray in the morning time uh, before, we, before we 
get out the door and get lost in the busyness of the day. I know for myself at least uh, that once once the day starts rolling, it can be hard for me to to then come back to a screeching halt and then to spend dedicated time with a quiet mind, a quiet heart, and prayer. Uh, and so, you know, at, at that point, there's usually like, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do that. I forgot about this already. Man, I'm behind on that thing too. Uh, and so, uh, the traditional wisdom of the church is if we can get it in in the morning hours, in the early part of the day, um, that's usually the best uh, because it's uh, our minds are already kind of quieted and there's not already lots of things going on. Uh, but then, secondly, it's good at the beginning of the day because then whatever the fruits of your prayer are, you can kind of um, continue to go back through it through the course of the day. Uh, if there's you know if, if there's a particular uh, word or prayer or passage or a, a song or something that comes to mind in your prayer in the morning, then as you go through the course of the day, you can just let it kind of roll around in there. You can you know be singing your singing your song. You know, or humming your tune as you go through the course of the day as a way of kind of extending and stretching your prayer over the course of the whole day. Uh, and so, again, morning time is best, but if mornings are not your thing, do it when you can pray. And that's the general rule. Pray when you can pray. Um, so, uh, as for the length of time, it really depends on you and your uh, your ability, um, you know, ability to, to devote, you know, whatever time that you can. Um, you know, some people have, you know, can devote a longer period of time, some people less. Uh, some, some of us, I mean, different days of the week, sometimes you got more time, sometimes you got less time. A good general rule is just to devote a good 15 minutes. I mean, 15 minutes is, it's small enough that it's manageable, but it's substantial enough that you can actually get some fruits, <laughs> you know, you can get some fruit going. You can, you can kind of dig into the soil a little bit and allow, um, allow some, some good stuff to churn up. So, um, and if you want to spend more than 15 minutes, fine and good. Where of praying with sacred scripture, uh, the where, um, I'm always inclined um, as much as possible to pray in the, blessings, in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Because it's Jesus himself, and I know that in proximity to him, um, one, I'm more prayerful, I'm more responsive, uh, I'm more engaged. Uh, but also, I think just there's a, a recognition that the, the closeness to Christ kind of makes prayer more fruitful. Um, and so that could be um, if, you have, if you have morning mass or if you have you know, mass throughout the day, getting there 20 minutes early, settle in your pew, and then... You know, praying for a few minutes prior to the Mass, uh, allowing that time to be kind of the, the fruit, um, you know, to prepare your heart for the celebration of liturgy, I think is a beautiful thing. Um, or if, if there's not a Mass, then going into the church, going into uh, an adoration chapel like, uh, like we have in New Roads, all these are, are beautiful places to pray. Um, but it's not to say that you can't pray elsewhere. Um, I know many, um, many people have their prayer spot at their house, whether it's, whether it's a prayer room, whether it's a prayer corner, whether it's a chair, whether it's a spot with a crucifix or an image of Mary on the wall, something like that. Uh, I mean, as a, I recognize that, that, you know, sometimes going to the chapel or going to the church uh, will be a little, uh, a little difficult for us. Uh, and so, you know, basically just 
to be able to find a place where we can be prayerful, recollected, and not distracted. Uh, not distracted is an important piece there too. Um, I, love, I love praying at the rectory, but sometimes I have to pray in the church because <laughs> sometimes the cats like to come and visit me a little more than I would like them to and they're rather demanding, you know, trying to climb up on my books as I'm praying, praying my office and such. Uh, I said, this is not is not conducive to prayer right now um you know and, and so it's it's to accept our circumstances as they are uh and to do our best and then the how how to pray daily with scripture i would say that, that there's basically two kind of two approaches that one could take um as a continuous daily recourse to scripture and one would be to take the readings of the day for mass and to use that as your fuel. Uh, so that makes it easy. You don't have to go and decide, uh, what am I going to pray with today? <laughs> you know, you just pick up the readings from Mass and whatever, whatever, whatever way it is that you, that you get a hold of them. Um, there's you know, plenty of options. Um, but just to take the readings from Mass of the day and say, okay, this is what I'm going to pray with today. Uh, so that's one way that we can do it. It's simply to go with those daily readings, and, and that can be helpful because, one, it puts us in touch with the liturgical cycle, liturgical year, uh, so the calendar changes. So you, during Lent, your readings will be a little bit more focused on Lenten spiritual life. You know, during Easter, we'll get more Easter stuff. During Christmas, more reflection on the coming of, you know, the, the coming of the presence of the Christ. You know, so it, it helps us to kind of engage the liturgical year in that regard. So that can be certainly very helpful um, in those ways, as well as also if Father gives a really bad homily one day or he doesn't give a homily at all, that's okay because you prayed with the scriptures already. You kind of got some fuel. The Lord spoke to you, even if Father didn't, you know, or Father did a bad job. The Lord spoke, and whatever, whatever happened in your heart is fruitful. Um, and so kind of allowing that to, to engage there can be helpful. The other way that you could do it, instead of going with the scriptures, each um, you know, the scriptures for the daily readings, it would be just to pick a book of the Bible and go through it. So, all right, we're going to start with the letter, the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Chapter 1, verse 1. You know, and, and go and, I mean, most of, most of the Bibles are, are split up into sections where it's, you know, a little, a little clip about yay big. And so you could just read a section and, okay, that's my section for the day. Um, and just kind of leave it at that. Um, you know, so that also has a benefit in that whereas the daily readings sometimes will kind of hop around, you don't always get the full story. Sometimes you miss a little section here or there. Um, whereas with, with that continuous reading, if you're just picking up your Bible itself and going through the whole book at a time, it doesn't necessarily connect with the liturgical year, but you do get the whole storyline of the text. Uh, and so there's a beauty in that too. Is if you're if you're trying to get, you know, if you want to read just the the whole Gospel of Mark straight through, the Gospel of Mark is relatively short, sixteen chapters. If you if you literally just sat down to read the Gospel of Mark like you would read any other any other book, it would take you about two two and a half hours typically, uh, just an average average reading pace. Uh, so it's not terribly long, uh, and so that's one in which you know you dive in and it's got you know you can read the whole book of you know the whole Gospel of Mark and. A month and a half, uh, you know, two months, uh, something like that, just by reading little clips. Uh, whereas you get the, 
the whole thing. Uh, and in, uh, one of the things that I've, that I've appreciated about that uh, for myself is that you get to walk along with the disciples in their journey as disciples. So you get to, it's like you get to, <laughs> to walk in different people's shoes over and over, learning uh, who is this Jesus. And you get to, to kind of have that relationship growing with the Lord little by little by little up to his, his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Um, and then you hit the reset button and go back with somebody else. And then you kind of walk with them. And so it's, it's, a, it's a neat way um, to kind of be a disciple of Jesus, just walking along with him as anyone would have in his own day. So those are the, uh, I guess, some of the practical aspects I think of praying with the scriptures, which leads us to that paper that you have in front of you. Mm-hmm. Just reading the scriptures instead of praying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this one, yeah, yeah. Gwen was asking is is just reading the scripture, just just going through it, is that prayer? Yes. Uh, because it's it's hearing the word of God, and and whether we go through the fourfold structure and method, the simple reality is it would be like sitting with Jesus and listening to Jesus talk. You know, you don't have to have the the back and forth and dialogue and you know all the the extra pieces and parts. You know, but to simply sit at the feet of the Lord and, and to hear Him speak and to let it sink into our hearts. Again, that last principle. The Word of God is living and active. Uh, it's life-giving. So it necessarily changes something in us. So even just to read through the Word of God, by, you know, to, to read it you know, in, in just the normal, the normal prayerful mode is certainly a course of prayer. Thank you for pointing that out. Sometimes I get lost in the weeds. <laughs> I get a lot, a lot deeper than, than... First things first, read the Bible. Um, just however, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. Um, there was, uh, let's see, there's a book called Blue Like Jazz. I forget the author's name right now, but the title kind of caught me. It was like, Blue Like Jazz. That sounds like an interesting read. So I picked it up a read, and it was by, by a Christian fellow, uh, a Protestant, you know, Protestant gentleman, and he was talking about his, his way of praying with the scriptures, of engaging the Bible. And he said, there are times when I pray with the scriptures in a more intense and, and devoted and dedicated way. And he says, and, and I think it would be kind of like what we're doing here. And he says, and then there are times where I just sit on my back porch and I just smoke a cigarette, drink my Coke, and read the Bible like it's a good book. And I was like, okay. I was like, not that I'm advocating smoking for anybody, but I mean, it, it was his way of saying that like, Picking up the Bible doesn't mean I have to be on my knees in a church. Uh, it doesn't mean that I can't just pick up the Bible and read the Bible like any other text I would read. I mean, obviously, it's not the same as any other text, again, living and active. But to be able to have a familiarity with it where we can read it and, and allow it to be normal for us, um, I think is what, the, you know, what that author was, was kind of trying to highlight and I think that's a healthy place for us, is to be able to, you know, have that life, uh, that life of faith, where it doesn't have to be always, um, you know, oozing piety, uh, 
uh, whenever we do spiritual things or encounter spiritual things. Not that piety is a bad thing. That's a different talk, though. So, what you have on the papers in front of you, I also have in these handy little um, cardstock cards, um, pretty much the exact same thing. I took out a couple of small, inconsequential words so that it could be put on a half sheet. But we did the did these um, basically so you could take it and just put it in your Bible, uh, and you could have it in there, you know, whether paper clip it or glue it to the front or uh, put it wherever, you know, just as a way of having a concrete thing that you don't have to keep up with the paper folded and uh, a little bit more presentable. So, uh, I guess I should have one of those myself. And you put some dollars with Hmm? Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the, dollars are, the dollars are at the rectory. I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, this, this next section um, is looking at basically a, a way of praying with Scripture. Again, it's not the only way, uh, but it's, it's kind of a common way. Um, and it's um, a tried and true, tested, sure to be fruitful way of praying with the sacred scriptures. Uh, it's known as Lexio Divina, or divine reading. Uh, so it's this divine reading where we can encounter the Lord uh, in the sacred scripture uh, and kind of enter into a dialogue, a conversation, um, and you know, continue to deepen our relationship with Christ himself. So, um, on the sheet, you'll see uh, number one and number six of the things are basically just uh, a starting point and an ending point. Uh, traditional wisdom, again, always says when you go to prayer, have a, you know, a routine is a good thing for prayer life. Often you go and you can have uh, an, opening, an opening prayer. It could be a, you know, a Hail Mary or it can be uh, a prayer of trust or it could be a prayer of, of you know, Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy, you know, uh, you know, uh, any of these types of prayers that kind of basically place us in the presence of God. Um, and so um, whether we start in the morning, if we start in the morning, usually it takes us less time to get at peace. If we're later in the day, uh, it'll take us a little longer. Uh, and honestly, it's important for us to, to be able to get to that point before we start trying to do the prayer. Um, Father Vic Messina, one of the priests of our diocese, he used a, a rather vivid image that has stuck with me ever since he first said it. He said, guys, whenever you go to pray, he was talking to us at the seminary, he says, whenever you, whenever you go to do your holy hour, when you go to pray with the Lord, especially praying with the sacred scriptures or doing some meditation on the life of Christ, first, let the horses run for a bit. And it was his way of saying, when you go to the chapel, recognize that when you sit down, again, you're probably going to be thinking about a lot of stuff. And sometimes it's good to let your mind, you know, for a few minutes, not for a full hour, of course, but for a few minutes, let your mind just go. Let the horses run. Get it out of them, you know. And then once all this stuff is gone or you've been able to write it all down as a remember this later, do this later, do this later, do this later, set the list aside and you can go, okay, now it's time to sit. And then we can rest. So, um, you know, again, if it's if it's the middle of the day or you've got a lot on your mind, sometimes it's okay to let the horses run for a bit and then call them back in, settle everything down. 
So that's that first step, place yourself in the presence of God. And then at the end is uh, just a closing, a way to kind of cap it off, uh, to give thanks to the Lord for the time that you've spent in prayer. The middle section is the four parts that we would like to be able to, to go through a little bit more at this point. So uh, those, those four sections there, numbers two through five, uh, they each have two, well, they have three words at the top. Uh, the first one is, is the, the Latin word uh, that they use for Lexio Divina. So each of them are four different words um, in the Latin form. And I have in parentheses the English translation next to it. Uh, so those, those four, the, the, the traditional structure of Lexio Divina, uh, comes from uh, typically from St. Benedict of Nursia. Uh, St. Benedict is um, saint of the church. Uh, he was, he's the founder of Benedictine monasticism. So a Benedictine monk uh, that traced the roots back some 1,500 years uh, to St. Benedict over in Italy. Uh, and so his, his focus was prayer and work. So the monks at the monastery, they would work throughout the course of the day, but they'd also stop to pray. And what they would pray is they would pray the scriptures all throughout the day at different times. So they'd work a little while, go pray, work, go pray, work, go pray. And so it was this constant immersion in the scriptures that he sought for himself in the communities that he founded. And so this kind of comes forth from his rule of life, uh, of, of how monks ought to live, this, this tradition and understanding of Lexio Divina. Next to it, uh, of course, is in the parentheses is the English translation of each of those words. So those are lexio or read, meditatio, meditate, oratio, pray, contemplatio, contemplation. Then there's a hyphen, and then there's another word, and that second word is where this wrap yourself in scripture book comes from. So wrap is an acronym. W-R-A-P. So, Lexio, read, they indicate here, they use the word write. So, it, it would seem like read and write are two different things, but what they're getting out is the same, and we'll look at that. So, write. Secondly, reflect. Third, apply. Fourth, praise. So, read, meditate, pray, contemplate, Write, reflect, apply, praise. They're basically the same structure. This book just kind of puts it in a nice little memorable acronym where you don't have to try to think about Latin words and then translate them into English words and then translate those into words into meaningful English words. Uh, This just gives you four simple words uh, in English right from the start uh, that can help uh, make our prayer a little bit more fruitful. And so... The first thing, again, is we go, we place ourselves in the presence of God. And then we pray our scripture. It could be from the daily readings for Mass. It could be the continuous reading through a particular book of scripture. It could be something else. If you've got a different program, you know, sometimes they'll go on retreat. And the, for a retreat, they'll say, reflect on this passage the first time, the first day, this one the next day. So, you know, whatever it is that we're praying with, have it chosen beforehand. And so the first step is Lexio, read. To take the verse, or to take the passage, to take the section of the reading and just read it. Read through it slowly. 
Read through it attentively, especially. If you're not in the Adoration Chapel or in the church or somewhere where you're bother somebody else, it can be helpful to read it aloud. You know, some of us, it may be helpful for us to say it or at least to whisper it a little bit, um, to be able to hear, to hear the words, to hear how it might sound when it was composed, when it was written the first time. And so to do so slowly and intentionally, and especially to be mindful of the details. Oftentimes as we go through the scripture, there are very little things that are present there that have great importance in our reflection on the passage. And one of the, one of the faults that we can have sometimes, if we are familiar with the scriptures, if we've heard a passage more than once or twice, which most of us are familiar, you, you hear it and you go, oh yeah, I know that story. You know? Um, and it can be easy to go, oh yeah, I know that story, and just gloss right over the part where the Lord says, I want to talk to you about this. <laughs> you know? um, so this is the important piece, not to, uh, not to just look at the, at the heading and be like, you know, the, the raising of Lazarus. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that story. That's a good story. That's a good story. You know? And just kind of gloss over it. But really to, to pause and, and to go through it and really look at the words, to hear their meaning, to look at the little details, and to consider them. I mean, again, whenever they were writing, um, they didn't have a typewriter, they didn't have a word processor, uh, they didn't have all of those things. They were very clear and very specific on the words that they wanted to use. On a side note, it was funny, whenever John Paul II got a computer at the Vatican, they said you immediately noticed because all, all, the, all the papal documents doubled in length. Because <laughs> he could just type it out and backspace and then add more in and copy and paste. He said everything got larger as soon as he got a word processor. Um, you know, and so it's this reality that when you, when you can just backspace and easily do whatever you can just add in, you've got plenty of, plenty of space. You can just write whatever you want. You can add in details and facts and figures and all kinds of things. And it doesn't really have much major consequence on the end. You know, for us, whenever we're printing a book, what's another, what's another 10, 20 pages? That's not a big deal. But in the ancient culture, when they were composing these things, when you had a scroll, a scroll was a set length. There was a specific length to a scroll. And it was a standard size. I forget how many, how many yards it was. But basically, you know, Mark's gospel was one scroll length. Luke, John, and Matthew were two scroll lengths. So that's why Mark is half the size, literally. And so you roll out this scroll and you go, okay, I need to get the whole life of Jesus and all of his ministry in this set. What do I need to say? The fact that someone went out at 3 o'clock, you're not going to put that unless it has meaning. The fact that Jesus sat down to teach, you don't say that unless it has meaning. The fact that they were engaging this person, that person, this other person by name, or where they were in this place by specific place, you know, a, 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 a proper name, and not just a vague on a mountain, you know, these things have purpose. So whenever those details are mentioned, it's important for us to kind of stop and go, okay, what is that place again? What's the importance of, of that phrase again? Who are those people again? Um, and kind of try to, to roll around in our minds with some of that. Um, so, 
getting that. So we read through it, process some of the details, and then we read through it again. The first time you're just kind of making sure you know the, the, general, the general structure, you get the facts, you get the details. The second time you read through it again, again, slowly, attentively, prayerfully. And usually at this point, a word or a phrase or a whole verse sticks out at you. Or maybe it's an idea contained in it. Not always. And this can be the frustrating part sometimes. You know. But oftentimes it will happen that a word will stick out. And we just go, huh. Why did that come up? That's interesting. And so the idea comes to our mind and then we go through. Whenever that thing comes up that makes us go, huh, that's a sign. (laughs) That's usually the Lord going, hey, hey, pay attention to this part. You know, this is good. (laughs) This is what I want to talk to you about. This is where we are today. This is what I want to give to you. It's the opportunity for us to pause and to really engage with Christ. So, that's the first thing. And that's why we have, for there, for the second part, it's why it says write. Is it's trying to get to us to read through it so that whenever something strikes us, write it down. If it's a word, if it's a phrase, if it's the verse, if it's an idea, write it down. That, of course, presumes that you have something to write on. So, uh, basic materials when you go to pray. A Bible a notebook, and a writing instrument. Or if you just want your phone, you want to put everything in there. They've got all kind of magical things that you can do with them today. So, it's basically to take all of this, to take it, read it, listen for a word that strikes you, and then write it down. Step one. Step two is meditatio, meditation and reflection. Basically, it's do like Mary did after the angel came to her and to take all these things and ponder them in your heart. Again, as that question or, 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 or that, that, that phrase or that word or that verse comes forward, it makes itself known and, and, and kind of shows you that this, this is drawing me to it. This is directing me in some way. This is kind of sticking out to me. To stop and to ask why. To look at the details and ask questions about them. Why was that detail included? Why, why, why this word? You know, or sometimes you've got a passage where there's a parallel passage in another gospel, and you know that there's a little word, there's a word different you know, in one versus the other that you may remember. You know, why is it that, that this word is here? You know? And just to think about it, reflect upon it. It can be fruitful at this point, to be able to go through and to imagine yourself in that particular scene. Some people are really good at this. Some people are really terrible at this. If it's your thing, use it. If it's not, you won't. You can't. Sorry. It's just not it. But it's an invitation that, that if we can, to be able to take ourselves, to take the story that we just read and to place ourselves in someone's shoes. Who am I in this gospel passage? You know, if I was the person Jesus was talking to, what would I feel? What would I be thinking? How would my, what would my response look like? 
If I was someone watching on the side, all of this happened, what would I be doing at that time? What would be happening in my heart? All of these things. If I was the scribe or the Pharisee or the Sadducee that Jesus just totally gave a good tongue lashing about this, that, or the other thing, how little do I feel right now? <laughs> you know? These kinds of things. To place ourselves in different spots in the story and to recognize that at different points in our journey, we feel like different people. One of the ones that often provides great fuel for reflection on different aspects is the prodigal son. You know, you've got the prodigal son who's gone off and squandered his life in sin and the things of the world and comes back and is received in mercy. And sometimes we really can connect with that individual. Sometimes, though, we can connect with a son that was good and stayed home, but was still a little bit distant from the father, kind of resentful for not giving him, you know, I was like, you didn't even let us you know, have, a, have a little lamb or anything to, to eat. You know, you get the, the fatted calf for him, that guy, you know. And so, it, it, you know, sometimes we can put ourselves in that position. Sometimes we're the father, you know, that we experience that, that maybe something has happened in our life where we receive someone that we had, that we had lost in a sense. And we can experience that aspect for ourselves. We can, we can experience the reconciliation. We can be the father. Or maybe we're just one of the people at the, at the party. <laughs> you know? Maybe we're just somebody watching all of this unfold, just marveling at the whole thing. It's a wonderful place because you don't have to be in any specific person's spot. It can be fruit to put yourself in different spots and see, what do I feel here? How do I respond there? What's going on in my heart in this place? And really, again, just to kind of give some time to, to sift through it and to ask questions. Another important thing is to remember that as we're doing this, that the scriptures are living and active. That this isn't just a mind exercise. That this is encountering God in his word that speaks to us. So if we believe that God's word speaks to us, we should be speaking to him also. <laughs> you know. So as we're going through these things, talk to Christ. When that phrase pops up that sticks out to us, Jesus, why? Why did that stick out to me today? Is there something I'm supposed to be something I'm supposed to be getting here? Is there something I missed? Is it something you're trying to tell me? You know, Lord, help me understand why things are going as they are in this short time of prayer. Is there something I'm supposed to be doing? Is there something I'm supposed to be, you know, something you have in store for me later today that this is going to prepare me for to be able to see a bit more clearly and respond appropriately when it happens? You know, Lord, what's happening here? And to engage in that dialogue. Again, it can also be helpful for us as we go through just to simply reflect upon all of these different things and meditating on the past, reflecting on the meaning, looking at the details, asking Jesus the questions, putting ourselves in all those different places, those different shoes of people in the storyline to ask ourselves, what do I feel? What am I thinking? What are my desires? What are my joys? What are my fears? What's all going on within my heart as I'm encountering this scripture passage? Because that's important stuff. Because that's the stuff the Lord wants to deal with in us. Again, this is a dialogue with Christ. So all of this is the invitation for us 
to pause and reflect and to chew on all kinds of things. Now recognize that a lot of times as we look in the scriptures, there's different stuff um, that sometimes we don't know what it means. Or they're talking about a place and we're like, I've heard about that place, but I don't know what that place is important for. <laughs> you know, So they have resources that are out there that can help us in this process too. And you don't want to make this into like a, a spiritual reading thing. You don't want to make this a, a, a thing where you're just immersing yourself in scripture study because it's supposed to be prayer. It's not just scripture study for the sake of gaining knowledge in the head. It's about a bit, and allowing ourselves to be touched in the heart. And so there's a couple of things that I would, that I would suggest. One is this handy-dandy book, The Catholic Bible Dictionary. So this is uh, – Scott Hahn is the general editor. Uh, a number of people that, that were uh, obviously helped to put it all together. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a dictionary of the Bible. Pretty straightforward. So you're looking through and, and uh, let's see. You come along a passage where they talk about Methuselah. Yeah, Methuselah. I heard that name. Who, who's Methuselah? So you look up Methuselah. The son of Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, and the father of Lamech. According to Genesis, he's the seventh generation descended from Adam and the grandfather of Noah. He lived to be the age of 969, the longest lifespan mentioned in the Bible. Like Methuselah, right? The oldest one. Methuselah, all right. Now we can go along with it. I don't know why we'd be talking about Methuselah anywhere else. But, you know, so there's all kinds of things. But it's not just random things like that. It goes through when you hear about, you know, a person, a place, a thing. When we hear about, um, you know, particular, you know, worship. When we look at different aspects of things that were important in the scriptures, that has a lot to say in here. If you want to just look about family, right here, there's just a section on family. Where it talks about family life, God and family. It talks about the Old Testament and family, the New Testament and family, the church today and family. And so it's got page after page after page of reflections on family in the scriptures, what family means. And so just a, a wonderful resource here that has all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of stuff and details that can help fill in some of the blanks whenever you encounter that little detail and you're trying to remember what was the importance of that mountain or that person or that thing. This can be a nice little thing to just kind of help go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. No, that makes sense. That, you know, adds a little bit more to the passage. So, Catholic Bible Dictionary is a good one for that. And there are some other ones, um, one that I would suggest, and, and I'll talk about this a little bit more. Um, there are commentaries uh, for sacred scripture. So this one is part of a series called The Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. It's pretty straightforward. So this is a whole series. This is the one just for the Gospel of Mark, but they're currently composing the rest of them throughout the course of the series. I think the whole, the whole New Testament is done, if I remember right. Um, and so what this does is it just goes through the whole book. And sometimes, uh, you know, those, those things where we don't exactly understand a passage and we need a little help, we need a little, <laughs> a little boost, um, something like this can be a wonderful resource to kind of go through and go, oh, that's what they're talking about. That makes a lot more sense now. Um, because honestly, sometimes we need that. Because again, the authors are writing in a historical context that's not ours. Sometimes in a way that's not understandable to us. And so things don't necessarily immediately click. And so 
things like this can be helpful for us to just take the individual passage and just read a page or so on it and go, that makes a lot more sense now. That, that's helpful. And then set it down and off we go. So that's another one, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. So that's the second piece, is to meditate and to reflect, to, to kind of, you know, to, to ponder in your heart all of these things, to ask Jesus, why are we doing all of this? What's, what's being said here? What's the, what's the purpose? What's the goal? What's our end result? And that leads us to number three, which is oratio, or prayer, and also the, uh, the hyphen with apply. So it's the A in the rap, an acronym. So oratio, prayer, and the application is to be able to talk to, more, to, talk to Jesus more about the reflection. It's again to tell him our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, our fears, our joys. To be able to consider how does this apply to me? And here's the, the apply part, right? In a prayerful dialogue, Lord, what are you telling me here? How does this apply to my life? Is there something concrete I need to do today? Is there something that you're saying that you're calling me to make a change? Maybe it's to change my life of prayer. Maybe it's to change my, uh, my relationship with a person or a group of people. Or maybe it's to change my relationship with you, Lord. Any number of things are ways in which we can encounter the Lord and kind of dig a little bit deeper into the application to our own personal lives. Basically, it gets to that ultimate question of, with this thing that struck me, this verse that sticks out to me, with all the things, the details, the stuff that I know, the stuff that came up in my reflection... What do you want me to do with this, Lord? <laughs> That's the ultimate question. What do I do with this? And to seek to come to some conclusion. You know, sometimes we may have a sense of, I need to dig on more of this tomorrow. So this is now my reading for tomorrow, too. <laughs> I need to come back to it for round two, because obviously it's more than I can handle today. It's more than I can, more than I can work with today. So tomorrow I'll come back again, Lord. Or maybe it's, there's a concrete action. Again, if it's a, a thing about reconciliation, well, yeah, I did have a, a little spat with somebody a couple of days ago, and I didn't really, I didn't really apologize for it. So maybe, okay, Lord, maybe I'm, maybe I need to go apologize, to, you know, for for that, you know, for that event, or you know, or, or, or you know, seek some reconciliation there. Okay, Lord, that's my res- my resolution today, is I need to do that. Period. This is what the application part is for so once you usually kind of get to a point where okay this is why we're this is why we're here this is why that passage stuck out to me this is how it applies to me this is what i'm going to do about it that's when you say okay lord help (laughs) it's that last piece of i need your help for this you know i need i need your grace to be able to Put this into action. I need your grace to help me to, to work on my life of prayer. I need your grace to help me to be able to, to, to forgive this hurt in my heart that I've received. I need your help to be able to do whatever concrete you know, thing has arisen in the application portion. And simply to say, Lord, I need your help. I need you. And then we take all of these things... This resolution to do whatever it is that we need to do. And then we sit. And this is the last piece. Number four. 
or number five on here. Contemplatio, contemplation, praise. This is where you let Jesus take the wheel. This is where you, you've done your part. You've reflected, you've meditated, you've questioned, you've asked, you've responded, you've acknowledged, you've applied, you've responded, you've resolved, you've asked for grace, and now you rest. And this is the important piece. Because this is where we recognize that, that this really is all God's work. Because all the, the, if I just do the first three pieces... It could be a Bible study that I use to apply myself to and that I'm going to choose to do all of these things because I've decided it. But it's this fourth piece, this contemplation and praise where we rest in the Lord. We're not supposed to be doing anything special. We're not supposed to be saying anything special. We just rest. Love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Love God. <laughs> Receive love from God. Let yourself be loved. The strength that you ask for, the grace that you ask for, open your heart and receive it. Sometimes it, it helps to make a physical posture. You know, If we've had our Bible in our hands, to set our Bible on our lap or on a table and just open your hands and rest. There's a physical sign of like, Lord, that... <laughs> My part's done. <laughs> I'm yours. Do what you need to. Do what you desire. I love you, and I know that you love me. So I'm just going to rest. That part can last a few moments. For people who are a bit more spiritual, that can last... 45 minutes, <laughs> you know, I mean, it really, it depends. Um, but the important thing is at the end of it all, it's just to simply say, I praise you, Lord. Thank you. And to just to sit. Once you feel like the Lord has kind of done his part, because contemplation, again, um, Meditation is something we do in our mind. Contemplation is something God does in our hearts. Contemplation is a gift. It's given to us. Uh, so it's a, contemplation isn't something I really do. It's I, I rest and I let the Lord do something in me. So whenever the Lord finishes whatever he's doing, we usually know it because we kind of start to come back. <laughs> you know, the peace, the peace is there, but usually... The distractions of the world start to kind of creep in, and then we start to think about, oh, I got to go get to this, got to do the such and such, and you know, the little distractions may start to kind of pop in, and that's the point where we know, okay, Lord, it's been good, but it's time to go put it to action. And so, to conclude that time of prayer, it's helpful just to have a standard closing. Um, it can be in our Father, uh, emphasizing thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, the, the entrustment of, you know, all of this is yours, Lord. <laughs> Your will be done. Um, it can be that. It can be uh, just simply praying the glory be. You know, 
Glory be to God for this gift that I've received and for, and for the fruits of this meditation this time. It can be a Hail Mary entrusting, the, entrusting everything that's taken place to Our Lady's care that she might be able to remain with us and remind us through the day you know, to, <laughs> to, keep our, to keep our resolutions, to, to keep reflecting upon those things that have come up in our meditation. It can be anything that we, all, any, anything that, that we feel kind of is for us a good stopping point. You know, there are a whole variety of prayers of entrustment of the, the sushi pay of take, Lord, all my liberty, take my memory, take my will, etc., so forth. Um, there's a whole variety of prayers of entrustment to the Lord, um, you know, to, to the Blessed Trinity, to Our Lady, etc. And just to offer that closing prayer, and then go on about your day. Uh, that whole process can take ten minutes. <laughs> And take two hours, um, depending on your particular situation. You know, if you're on a retreat, or if you're, you know, if you have a quiet house, you know, if, if you know all these kind of things. If you're if you're in a place where you can spend more time, and you're able to personally, physically, spiritually, mentally, sometimes it's good to just, however long, Lord, <laughs> we're here. Um, and that's one of the things that I enjoy for myself about being able to go on a retreat. Is I don't have to worry about, you know, times. <laughs> like, okay, I'm in the chapel, Lord. We're going to be here until we're done. So, let's go. Yeah. And just to dive in. So, those are the six ways, the, the six points to the method of praying with Scripture. Again, that is one way of praying with Scripture. And as... Uh, as a priest who was um, formed for the first two years of my seminary formation in a Benedictine monastery, who nearly joined a Benedictine monastery um, and still has great affection uh, for the rule of St. Benedict uh, and the life of St. Benedict, um, obviously I'm kind of partial <laughs> to the Lexio Divina approach um, that has been given, um, partly because of the rich tradition it has, but also because it's something that I myself have experienced the fruits of. Um, and typically, y'all see that, uh, y'all see that in my homilies, is, is what it's, that's what a homily is supposed to be. Uh, I mean, you look at, at any, any writer who is writing on the priesthood or on homiletics or any of these kinds of things, the priest is supposed to take the scriptures for the Mass, to take the readings for the Mass, to take the prayers in the Mass, to go to the Lord in prayer, to pray with it, to process it, and the homily is supposed to be the overflow that happens. <laughs> it's the stuff that, that bubbles up uh, in the midst of all the reflection, all the prayer. And one of the things that, just to kind of show you briefly um, how this is, has kind of happened for me personally in one concrete event, um, it was not a homily I gave here, so I figured that would be the easiest way because nobody's heard it before. Um, it was when I was in, in Santa Rosa uh, with the sisters a couple of weeks ago, and I was praying, uh, we're praying for, for the Mass for the day. We're reading uh, St. John's, uh, one of St. John's letters, the first letter of St. John, chapter 5. And in it, it says, um, let me pull up my Bible here. So the section for that day, it said, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And the commandments are not burdensome. And that continues on. As I read through the passage in that first section on the read and the write, 
The thing that stuck out to me is his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. And it kept, it kept coming up, and, and I, was, I was like, I don't want to talk about that. That's, I mean, you want to give something exciting to the sisters, you know, give something a little more fruitful than they're not burdensome sisters, you know. And it was, a, you know, it was this frustration in my heart of, of uh, I need something different, you know. Look, look at the gospel. The gospel has got to have something better for me to stick with, right? And so I was going through, but that phrase kept sticking out. His, his commandments are not burdensome. And so eventually I, I got, to, you know, after, after a few minutes I was like, okay, his commandments are not burdensome. For who? Who are the commandments of the Lord not burdensome for? Like, like don't just pray, don't just forgive your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Like whenever someone says, I want to press you into service for one mile to carry all my stuff, go with them for two miles. You know, it's like, who? Who thinks that stuff's easy? I mean, that's challenging stuff. If your right hand calls you to sin, cut it off. Not literally. But it's, it's that reality that, that if something is detaching you from Christ, be willing to sever it entirely. And I was like, that's, that's hard, Lord. <laughs> that is really hard. And this is what was happening in my heart. Is I, was, I, was, I was conversing with him going, what? this is how it strikes me. <laughs> like, this is way hard, Jesus. This is really hard for us. It's really hard for me. I presume for other people. I mean, if they weren't burdensome to some degree, everybody would be doing them. It would be easy. It would be just the normal course. But they are hard. Why are they hard, Jesus? Why do I find your burden, your commands burdensome sometimes? And the question began to bubble within me. And it was like, my commandments are not burdensome. It's your heart that finds them burdensome. It's you. It's not me. <laughs> It's like elsewhere in the gospel where, where the Lord God, the, the people are lamenting the things of God. And it's the exact same passage. It's, it, you know, it's, the, the people are saying, you know, your, your commands are, they're, they're, they're um, I forget the exact wording. Um, they, they were saying, your ways are unfair to us, God. You expect too much. And the Lord God says, are my ways unfair? Or rather not, are your ways unfair? And it was that, that recognition, that, that point in my heart, I was like, his commandments aren't burdensome. It's my heart that's disordered and it finds it hard because I'm trying to go one way when the Lord's trying to make me go the other. <laughs> and I'm sensing that tension. That's why it's hard. Because I'm fighting Christ. How do I stop fighting you? And that's when we get to the application. <laughs> I need to spend more time in prayer. I need to let my heart be more engaged. You know, and it leads to that application of, of this is how this actually needs to happen within me. And then at the end of it, you rest. And then the next day, that was my homily for the sisters. <laughs> you know, And God bless them. They think everything's funny. I, I celebrated the Feast of St. Barnabas. We don't know a lot about St. Barnabas. Um, I was like, so today we celebrate the Feast of St. Barnabas, who we don't know much about other than his name was Barnabas. And they were like, ha, 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 ha. I was like, no, that's not even funny. I was just stating a fact. Um, but they, like, they're just so pure of art. It's beautiful. Um, you know, but, but, but whenever I said the, they're not burdensome to who, all the sisters are like, 
Amen. <laughs> Amen, Father. <laughs> you know, because it's all of us. It's a common thing that, that sometimes we find the commandments of the Lord burdensome. And it was that that began to bubble up. If I had tried to go with something else, I may have had a better planned out homily, but it wouldn't have been something that actually touched my heart and responded to something happening with them too. And so that's the importance of this. For myself, I see this as, as an integral part of, of my daily life because otherwise I just give you heady, heady homilies that have no application to everyday life. And the same thing for yourselves. If you approach it as a scripture study that's disconnected from your heart, you'll have great brain knowledge of Jesus. <laughs> but our hearts will be far from him. Uh, and so it's the importance of, of being able to allow ourselves to enter in to this time of prayer and really to, um, to give ourselves over to it. Um, it was St. Jerome, a great doctor of the church, who translated the ancient scriptures into the Latin Vulgate, the, the Latin text that was, was and is the official text of the church for 1,700 years now or so. <laughs> um, it was he who said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. Because the scripture is the word of God. You know? And so to be able to know the scriptures, to immerse ourselves in them, and to speak to them, to allow them to be something that resonate within our hearts to know the scriptures is to know Christ and that's the greatest of gifts is to know Jesus um, so that's my encouragement there especially in um, in the praying of sacred scripture so I want to go over briefly uh, a few a few little um, extras here behind me just so that y'all can have all the ideas of exactly what's up here if you're interested in any pieces or parts. Again, these two were the basis of our talk. The Word of the Lord, Seven Essential Principles for Catholic Scripture Study from Dr. Stephen C. Smith, Institute of Priestly Formation, Wrap Yourself in Scripture. One of the common threads all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament and showing the unity of both is the relationship of God to the people of God. Uh, that, that God is constantly trying to call a family to himself. Uh, and this is, um, this is from uh, Tim Gray and Jeff Cavins, a uh, book called Walking with God, A Journey Through the Bible. So it kind of goes through the Bible and helps to see, start to finish, how it's the same father calling the same sons. You know, it's, it's the same family. He's just calling us all throughout over and over and over through the different covenants, the different revelations of God. So this is a wonderful book, a very readable book. Uh, for a text. If you're looking for something just to help make sense of the individual books of the Bible uh, and what they actually mean and what they can be used for, uh, this text, uh, Pathways in Scripture, is a book-by-book -book guide to the spiritual riches of the Bible from Father Damasus Wenzen. Um, so this is a wonderful text. It, get, it basically just takes a book and it goes through and it gives you, you know, usually three or four pages of this is, this is why this book is important. <laughs> you know. And so sometimes you can look at some of the books in the Old Testament and go, what does that really matter for us? Why do I need to know about the, the prophet, <laughs> the book of Habakkuk? You know? Like, what does that do for me? Uh, Father Winston has an answer. And it shows us sometimes the hidden riches, especially in the Old Testament. So this is a wonderful text to have. 
Again, this is the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. This one is by Mary Healy. What this commentary scripture set is doing is they're taking one of the people whose who's strong suit is each particular book. So Mary Healy, her strong suit is the Gospel of Mark and the studies about the Gospel of Mark. So they got her to write the one for Mark. So they got someone who was equally knowledgeable about the Gospel of Matthew, and that person wrote the one on Matthew. And so you're basically kind of getting the best and the brightest of each individual book, because usually a scripture scholar kind of has a, a very specific focus. Um, so these are, again, wonderful, wonderful texts uh, to be able to, to understand, uh, especially if you're going to do a, a book-by-book study, if you're going to just pick up like the Gospel of Mark and read straight through. I would strongly suggest a book uh, like this one or this one exactly um, to be able to go along with it. Again, just because sometimes we miss some of the cues of the things that they're saying, and this helps to make a little bit more sense to it. So Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. If you want to have a practical book on how to put a lot of this stuff into practice and into play, this book called The Better Part from Father John Bartonic is a gold mine. Um, if there was one book in all of these that you were to buy, I would probably suggest this one for the life of prayer. Um, so the better part is, right, whenever Martha and Mary were, were with Jesus and, you know, Martha was busy in the kitchen and, she, and she's like, make my sister come help me. And Jesus says, no, she chose the better part. The better part is to be with me and to listen to me, to speak to me, to, to, to rest in my heart. This is the better part. <laughs> so what this does, Father Bartonic in this book um, so the first 60 pages or so are basically uh, an introduction on how to pray. Uh, it goes through what does prayer look like? How do I know if I'm doing it right? How do I know if I'm doing it wrong? What's a good structure? Things to do, things not to do, etc. So it gives a, a wonderful kind of basic introduction on how do I pray. So that's in here to start off with. And it takes... It's just the four Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are contained in here. And it takes them clip by clip. And for each little section, like we would get at normal daily Mass or Sunday Mass, for each section it has tons of stuff for you to pray with. So, at the beginning of each chapter, it gives you a quote from a saint that can be applied to the whole of that chapter. So, we're here in... The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, so we get a quote from St. Augustine. And then we get the first little section, verses 1 through 15 of chapter 19. So it gives you a quote, again, for each individual section on something specific to that, to that reflection, uh, to that passage. So it gives you a quote from a saint, which many times I read the quote from the saint, and I'm like, all right, that's enough. You know, <laughs> I just need to, to sort through what that was. Uh, before I can even get to the scripture passages, because sometimes this, the, the quote from the saint is enough to give me some food for thought for the day. And then it gives a scripture passage, and then it gives you three separate reflections on that passage from different perspectives. And this is what I love about it, is it gives you one from Christ the Lord. So it's kind of the, the, the Christ, is, Christ is God, Christ is the authority, Christ is, he is he's the king, right? And so it's, it's the recognition of the religious aspect of things, of Christ coming to, to set things in order in a certain way, that Christ is Lord of the universe. So there's a reflection on Christ as Lord. Secondly, there's a reflection on Christ as teacher. 
So a lot of the things he wants to teach us something. He wants to, he wants to shape something within our hearts. He wants to convey something to us. And so there's a section on Christ, the teacher, things he wants to show us, to explain to us, to help us to learn to do. And then lastly, there's a section on Christ, the friend. And this is that personal relationship with Christ. This is, you know, this is sitting down with Jesus and the disciples after the end of a long day and just going, Lord, what you said earlier, <laughs> can we talk about that again? <laughs> right? As often happens with the scriptures, with the disciples, you know, at the end of the day, they said, Lord, when you said earlier, uh, <laughs> what did you mean? <laughs> it's, this is basically what that section is. It's Christ the friend where we kind of sit down with Christ and reflect upon things. And then if you're bad at personal prayer, um, if you're bad at kind of spontaneous prayer, where sometimes we Catholics are kind of notorious for being, uh, you put us on the spot and we're like, uh, our father, uh, you know, everyone join in, please. I'm nervous, you know, right? So we can be nervous about, about making a spontaneous prayer of our heart to God and letting someone else hear it. Um, and so the beautiful thing about this is it gives you a prayer for each of those three sections, Christ the Lord, Christ the teacher, Christ the friend. It gives a prayer like it's a spontaneous prayer from the heart, but they have them here at the end. So it kind of teaches you how to verbalize your prayers in response to Christ. It teaches you how to pray spontaneously other than uh, our Father, uh, Hail Mary, you know. <laughs> and so it, it allows us to do some of those things. And then if that's not enough for you, it also at the end has questions. So you could do like a small group discussion. It has usually about a half dozen questions or so. So you can have discussion with others or if, even just for yourself to reflect upon it yourself. And then it has catechism references if you want to go see what the catechism has to say on those particular passages. So all of that is in here for every single verse of all four Gospels. Uh, so just jam-packed with stuff. And if that's not enough, there's all kind of cool things in the back. Um, there's charts where you can look up throughout the liturgical year and see exactly um, like on this day. You know, so you can, I can look in this book and find out on Friday of the 17th week of ordinary time, what's the gospel going to be? And it's in here, and I can flip to that page, and I can read it. Uh, so if you're looking for something where you just go through the liturgical year and do the readings day by day by day, this has the whole set pretty much, pretty much in it. Or if you're looking for a specific thing, if you want to know about, if you want to read a story about faith, there's a... Um, an index in here of key words. So you can look up faith and it says, here are some passages for you. If you want to look up, you know, reconciliation, here are some passages for you. So just jam packed. I mean, this is usually this is point number one. Whenever people are saying, father, what should I get to pray with this, this, and also it's available on phone apps. Uh, so if you want, there's a, the better part phone app. Um, but I, I like a physical text. I like get to hug it and hold it and fall asleep on it and bend all the pages. It's a beautiful thing. For those who are super nerds, they have, the synop- they have the synopsis of the four Gospels. So if you really want to know what all four Gospels say about a particular passage, this is your book. So it goes through and it tells you, uh, like any particular passage, um, where it talks about uh, number 235, the day of the Son of Man. It gives you the verse in Matthew's Gospel and exactly what it says. Mark's gospel and exactly what it says. Luke's gospel and exactly what it says. And John doesn't talk about it. <laughs> you know. And so literally every parable for those ones where it's in two or more places, every one of them it has 
you can compare side by side by side. How was it in Luke's gospel versus Mark's gospel? And this book can tell you. It's really wonderful. Again, you kind of got to be, this is a nerd book. This is where you want to get really, really into your scripture studies and really start digging in a whole lot. This is a wonderful, wonderful resource to have. And again, Catholic Bible Dictionary from Dr. Scott Hahn. And uh, so the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, New Testament, Second Edition, Revised Standard Version. Super good stuff. All wonderful things. They come out of words. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was only an hour and a half long homily. Man, I feel like I should have had more. Shoot. Um, any questions, comments, or anything? I know it's, I know it's a little warm. I know it's getting late, so I just want to. Appreciate wanna... you going over the seven principles of praying. Mm-hmm. We've done the lectio divina, but they didn't go into any. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for that. Happily. Good for a whole year. Mm-hmm. Very good. Absolutely. Now, Chapel now. I have a plan. Mm-hmm. And I, do, and I do have to let the horses run when I first get in there. Oh, yeah. 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 Let the horses run. Always a good thing. Um, there are some other documents. If you want to read official church documents, there are some good ones on sacred scripture. Um, the Second Vatican Council has Dei Verbum, the Word of God. Um, so that's one of, the four, one of the four main documents of Vatican II. There's a document on the sacred scripture itself, which has beautiful, beautiful information, lots of stuff to kind of take, open up and break open. Also in the early 2000s, there was a gathering, a synod in, New, in uh, I was going to say New Orleans. There was a, gather, a synod in Rome, which is not New Orleans at all. Um, <laughs> Of, of numerous bishops and, and theologians and faithful from around the world. And the topic was the sacred scriptures. And so it was how do we, how do we engage this today? How do we, that's you know, always the topic of a synod. You know, here's the topic. Give me your thoughts. Let's compile them and let's, let's make a document so that this can be for the continued building up of the church. And so the document that was released from that is Verbum Domini, the word of the Lord. Um, so that was a, a document um, from Pope Benedict XVI uh, that includes um, some wonderful reflection and good concrete practical application on engaging in the scripture in the current day. Uh, so that was just eight years or so ago um, that was written. Both of those documents are free online if you want to go to the Vatican website, vatican.va. Uh, that's the Vatican's official website, and they've got all that there. Um, and there's, there's more stuff. There's John Paul II had things on interpreting scripture and scriptures and the Jewish people. And if you want to get into the fun questions of like how much of Genesis is actually real and how much do we take as literal, how much do we take as kind of figurative. There was actually a, a series of reflections comparable to that in the, um, in the early part of the 20th century, like the 19-teens, the Pontifical Biblical Commission. Uh, so... A biblical commission under the Holy Father um, had a number of responses and reports on what do we need to take as actual truth and what can we give a little leeway to that this is, it doesn't have to be taken absolutely literal, but what are the bare bones of things that we need to hold as Catholics in our faith? Uh, So do we need to hold that Adam and Eve were literal people? The answer from the commission was yes. You know? So, 
those kinds of things are important for us because they say, oh, you know, da, da, da. well, the church does have answers um, to a lot of these things. So there, there's tons and tons of information out there. Um, so, yeah, just super good. Hoorah. Good love, Jesus. And uh, how about we close with a little prayer? So we'll just do the simple one, like we're including our, our normal encounter with the sacred scripture and give all glory to the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.